1: In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin.
2: Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, and my guest today is Brenda Edelman. We will be talking about... The role forgiveness plays in a person's life and in the process of healing for many people because Brenda Adelman experienced some very dramatic events in her family, which led to her having a lot to deal with emotionally and um, finding a way to do that uh, and eventually becoming an actress and a writer and someone who teaches other people how to recover from very, very, very upsetting things that can happen in your life. So, welcome to the show, Brenda. Thank you so much for having me. I have to say, having one of your parents kill the other one of your parents is one of the more extremely upsetting things that might happen to a person. Um, yes. Let's uh, let's begin somewhere near the beginning. Where did you grow up? What was your
3: childhood like? Okay. Um, well, and, and this that event did happen when I was an adult. I I um I grew up in Brooklyn. <laughs> um, spent a lot of money to get rid of that accent, but here it comes up again. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn. And I was actually extremely close with both of my parents, like almost codependently close, just kind of the apple of my father's eye and my mom was my best friend, took me traveling with her all over the all over the world and um and uh and I have a brother, um, half brother. He, we have different fathers and that would never become more important than it did when my father killed our mother years later. Um but um I was I, like I said I was really close with both of my parents but it was very tumultuous it was a, an emotionally abusive household I would say as far as their relationship and you know what that modeled for me as far as uh, the fighting and the passion and the back and forth and my father left my mother about every nine years or something like that cheating and you know with talks of gun violence happening and then when my mother would take him back I would think well my mother is crazy she must have been making it up because why would she take my father back if he put a gun to her head guns were um, a big part of the culture in my family like I thought guns were toys and I went shooting from the time I was a, a little girl uh, and um, you know 10 years old or so 15 and shooting and target shooting. In, uh, in Long Island, on Long Island, um, my mother shot also, and, and it was a to- They were toys until they weren't, until until uh, that fateful day twenty years ago when my father shot and killed my mother, and then fairly quickly moved in with my aunt, my mother's sister, and then they got married, and she also went to jail.
2: So you just said your father shot your mother. Was that? an accident or something intentional?
3: It definitely wasn't an accident. She was shot point point blank range in the head and clean up. There were eight hours after my mother was shot before the police were called. And when the police were called, my father had a lawyer in place. And um, he was trying to claim it was an accident, but from the trajectory of the bullet and uh as it was explained to me by the police it was definitely not an accident when my father told me they were fighting and it was an accident i thought maybe my mom was shot in the stomach maybe you know something had happened but it was not it was point blank range in the head and um and then he had a lawyer in place before anyone could really speak to him and so he never actually had to say what exactly happened, because he went to jail in a plea bargain with involuntary manslaughter because the eight hours between the time my mother was shot and the police were killed, my father's gun disappeared, and that's the same gun I learned to shoot on as a little girl, and uh, the gun he carried on him all the time, it somehow disappeared, and that was a murder weapon, and so my brother agreed to a plea bargain.
2: Wait, your brother? Um, you just said your brother. I think you meant your father? Yes,
3: my brother, my brother agreed to, to the plea bargain you know because a family member had to agree to the plea bargain. Um, oh, I didn't know it,
2: that. <laughs> yeah. I if your father mm-hmm. shot your mother, I thought it would be between the police and the prosecutor and your father. I didn't know that anybody else in the family would have a say in the matter.
3: Oh, well that's my understanding because uh my brother was the one dealing with everything at the time I kind of Was Is he in older shock than and depression. you are? Yes, she's older than I am, and um, what happened for me is I—it was almost too much for me emotionally to deal with because I was so close with both of them, my mother and my father—and uh, and so the the DA didn't really want to contact me because they were afraid I'd be on my father's side, and um, and then my father's the lawyer didn't want to contact me because they thought I'd be on my brother's side, and so surprisingly, since I was the only only blood you know, kid of both of the parents, I did not have to actually say anything about it. But my I do know that my brother is the one who agreed to the plea bargain um when the DA approached him. Because I guess if he would have went if my dad would have went to court, then there would have been a possibility that he didn't serve any prison time because the murder weapon was never found.
2: Wow. That that you know, there's a fascinating story in how the criminal justice system operated there. But hmm. I think that's not the story that you came here to say. So, as, a, as much no, as it intrigues I would love to me, talk maybe you about I, it after because it okay. sounds like there's something I didn't know. Yeah. Um, yeah what? What was this uh, still in Brooklyn when that happened? Yeah. And, and was your brother yes. living with your parents?
3: No, but he was living in Brooklyn, and I was living in California.
2: Oh, okay. So that would be another reason for him to get more involved.
3: And how old yeah. were you? This happened 20 years ago, so can I just say I was an oh. adult? Okay. <laughs> okay. So, I, was out, I was out of the house. So you were I, um, old
2: enough to be I out had, of the house and on your own. <laughs>
3: okay. Yes, I had, um, I had moved to California to, I had fallen in love and moved to California nine months before this happened.
2: Okay. And it still shakes your world completely to pieces?
3: Well, no, it doesn't actually shake my world to, to pieces at all. It's um, it's actually, I feel like it's led me to my life's purpose after, you know, I'd say three years of really being in shock and depression and closing myself off and closing my heart down and loving my father, hating my father. I actually think my healing started when I moved out of denial. I actually teach a teach a three-step process on forgiveness and I feel like I could not move into forgiveness and letting go and moving on until I moved out of denial because I so wanted to believe my father when he said it was an accident but none of the facts supported that and when I really got oh my father did this I was able to then start looking at my own judgments my own self-judgment my own um feelings of shame, like there was something wrong with me because of what happened in my family. I was able to look deeply into all that and um, I started writing. When I started writing my story down, it wasn't in my head anymore and it started I, saw, I was able to witness what was really going on instead of suppressing and for me overeating other people. you know, have other addictions and stuff like that and, um, and so I was able to witness it and then I was an actor already and I was in an acting class in L.A. And I decided or was inwardly guided to share my story because up until that point, I was filled with shame and afraid to be judged. And I just knew I had to share it in um in this format as a personal story, being real on stage and with no idea that I would turn it into a one-person show. thought I'd get a lot of judgment. Instead, I got 100 people. It was this pop acting class, uh, you know, giving me a standing ovation. And then I had about five people come over to me after it, it was probably about a half an hour, uh, and uh, share secret shame that they had in their lives, and uh, and that was what gave me the impetus to write it, to expand it into a one-person show, and then I had a producer that wanted to work with me and a director, and kind of had a life of its own. But um, it was entertaining, it was insightful, um, it was authentic. But then I would go home and. Be miserable because I still really hadn't healed my stuff with my father. And um, so I went back and got a master's degree in spiritual psychology. And when I did that, those two years were really what moved me from being a victim to the circumstances of my life to say, okay, instead of continuing to ask why? Let me now say, how can I move forward? And that's where I learned how to set healthy boundaries. That's when I decided to take my dad to court for wrongful death of my mother. That's when my brother and I reconciled because we had a huge falling out when, um, in the beginning, my brother wanted to uh, go after my father legally, and I did not, uh, really just emotionally. I couldn't deal with it. And um, my brother and I had a huge healing. I... I used all the skills I learned in the program to forgive my father, the judgments I had against him. I um, forgave my brother because at the time I felt like my older brother abandoned me and all this other stuff. And then I looked at all those judgments I had against my brother and I thought, oh, well, he could probably judge me for all those things. I abandoned him. And so my brother and I reconciled with the court case against my father and um, we won uh, a wrongful judgment against my father of two point two million dollars, and my father you know skipped town didn 't show up we never collected and uh and then in two thousand and four he died so um and then after that you know i finished my i finished my schooling. I continued to do my show and then I was performing my show with my new ending of taking my dad to court and knowing that I would find love again and I could forgive myself and I could forgive my judgments, so that I didn't hurt so much. And a minister in Sedona said, you know, you know how to teach this stuff. Why don't you do a workshop? And so I looked at my process and I said, well, what stopped me from healing? What kept my heart closed down? And I looked at it and I developed a process and I started leading workshops on forgiveness and then someone asked me to have one-on-one work with them, so I started coaching. And so I've been doing this and presenting my show and presenting my story now for well over 11,000 people and uh, I just feel completely honored that I get to, you know, share and inspire and not from a place of I'm a victim and I'm still, like, just devastated, but you know what, it happened, but I'm not going to ask why anymore because that keeps me in the past. I'm going to say, okay, that happened. It informed me. And what can I take from it? And I think part of the reason I do well is that I really still have the loving I had for my mother and my father. I didn't just say, I'm not taking that anymore. You know, this event happened, and that's all there is to it. And what my show is about and what my work is about is that your life is not about just that one event.
2: Okay. Okay. I, I have a lot of questions about several of the things that you've said along the way here. One of the okay. first ones is about shame and about judging yourself. Can you explain yep. that? I mean, your dad did something wrong. Why would that make yep. you feel ashamed or, or make you judge yourself?
3: Well, I think I mentioned that I was really codependent with my parents. I grew up in this household where it was almost like if my mother was upset, I was upset. It was like I took on my parents' stuff. And so I felt shame. And I really looked at it because I felt like I was damaged because of my parents as if I was them or they were me. I mean, I see that all the time with coaching clients where they so identify with their mother or their father and they somehow think because that person did these wrong things, there's something wrong with them. The other thing was I felt guilty for trusting my father. Like I went through, I could have saved my mother. There's something I could have done. There's something I should have seen. Um, so I had to let go of that and that over-responsibility. You know, that comes with it. I felt guilty because I was daddy's little girl. And oftentimes I would take my father's side if my parents were fighting, even though I loved my mother tremendously, uh, because my mother was more, how would I say it, like emotional. And my father mm-hmm. was more like, oh, everything's fine, even though, even though it wasn't. And so that was where the guilt and the shame came in. Oh, okay. um, yeah, that was that. Okay. That and then begins I just had to, make- you know, to do self-forgiveness.
2: Uh, yeah, that makes more sense to me now. Um, good. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: I know, no, it more makes sense, sense to- sometimes, you know, on the surface it makes no sense. Like why yeah. would you feel guilty? Why would you feel, you know, another thing is in my show, I very specifically forgive my mother and I I remember years ago someone in the audience in a talk back afterwards saying why would you forgive your mother? You know, she's the victim. Why would you forgive her? And I very consciously said, because it took me a long time to do this, because oftentimes when someone dies, you put them up on a pedestal. And what I realized is that I needed to forgive her because of the model she set for me of how it was okay to be treated the way my father treated her. Mm-hmm. And so... um, to me, the person asking the question, it was more about them and them living in a place of right and wrong, which is definitely a place where I used to live And I realized, until I realized that the righteousness wasn't serving me anymore. I find a lot of times people who have grown up in kind of crazy, chaotic households can be very righteous about, this is right, this is wrong, and it serves us, and then at one point it, it doesn't. It's still like knowing right and wrong, but not having that energy behind it
2: if you know what I mean. Yeah, that the rigidity and the judging yourself and other people as as this is good, this is bad, you're right, you're wrong. Right. Right, exactly. That can be very brittle. (laughs)
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So you mentioned that your dad did go to jail. Was he in jail? And you also mentioned that he married your aunt not that long after he shot your mom. So yep. what was the timing on that? Did, did they have a wedding in jail or what happened?
3: <laughs> I actually don't know exactly what happened because I wasn't speaking to my father during that phase. It was on and off again. But he moved in with my aunt less than a month after my mother was killed. And um, from the records that I pulled up afterwards, it seems like they got married while he was in jail. So uh he went he went to prison one year after my mother's death. That's how long the legal stuff took. Um and then I think they got married maybe a year after that.
2: I see. So less than a month. So now I completely understand why you called your show My Brooklyn Hamlet.
3: Yes. You <laughs> got it. Thank you. I, I so, seem to remember
2: um, something about the uh, the meat from the wedding feast, not, not, the meat from the funeral feast not being cold and already we're eating the wedding feast.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And I do have, so my show is very, very Brooklyn and very New York, and then I have about five soliloquies from Hamlet when the emotions are just too much for me. If I was a singer, I would break into song, but nobody wants to hear me sing, trust me. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, But my mother taught me Shakespeare and read it to me from the time I was three years old. And actually knowing there was a character in literature that lived through something like I did was something that helped me get out of my depression. So um, in some weird way, it was natural for me to incorporate Shakespeare into my piece. And I do have one monologue in there about that, about like, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but about um, the fact that it's so quick. How could you know? Um, oh, oh, God! A beast that wants the scores of reason would have mourned longer. Married to my aunt instead of my uncle, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's effective. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we're gonna take a
2: break now. I will be back with Brenda Edelman to talk more about trauma and healing and forgiveness after a short break.
0: Streaming
1: live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
0: Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively. In a private, confidential setting, we help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit Group.com. Colin has one L and no S.
4: Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Colin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99.
1: Family members too often find themselves in court arguing about separation, parenting schedules, financial issues, divorce, estates, or care of an elderly relative. There's a better way to solve a family problem. Work with a professional mediator in private, confidential meetings. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup dot com. Now back to family matters.
2: On family matters today, Brenda Adelman and I, Virginia Virginia Collin, are talking about traumatic events and forgiveness and healing. So Brenda has been. Telling about how her father killed her mother, apparently intentionally, but for a while you were in denial. You really wanted to believe that it was an accident, and eventually Mm -hmm. facts convinced you otherwise. Um, You said that, uh, you said during, we were talking during the break, you said there was a mafia connection. I have to ask about
3: that. (laughs) Of course you do. (laughs) Um, Well you know, I grew up in Brooklyn and the mob was definitely something that was around. My dad was a big business owner and there was definitely, you know, collections being made, things like that, when people had businesses in Brooklyn back then. And um, the thing is, you know, um, there was a cleanup after my mom died. So she was shot. And then when the police came, they said they didn't even know she was shot. They had Like, all the blood was cleaned up, and she was shot in her head, and Mm -hmm. then the gun that my father had just disappeared, and he had a, you know, a lawyer in place that, you know, he he had, like, everything set up, and there were just, you know, there were cover-ups and things like that. I, you know, I don't know what the police explored or didn't explore, you know, my father had been had left my mother a year before for a woman who had some mob connections, but you know, nobody found anything about that. Um it was just my fa- my father went to jail on a plea bargain involuntary manslaughter, which said he consciously I can't remember the the wording right now, but it was um oh, involuntarily shot her in her head. I mean basically that's the bottom line. So um yeah. You know. Yeah. As, as far as justice is concerned, it didn't seem like it it didn't seem like that was really served.
2: Yeah. How
3: long was he in jail? He was only in jail for two and a half years. He got a one to five year sentence. Wow. Whew. So so
2: yeah. one of the first steps in your Coming out of denial, coming out of depression was to write your story, you said, so then it's not just in your head, it's at least on paper, and then that right. started to evolve into a one woman show mm-hmm. um, how How did you really decide to go ahead and put your life story on stage for the public to be able to see?
3: Well, I went into it a little bit earlier, so the the step the first step was you know I wrote poetry. And poetry was great because it bypassed my, you know, conscious mind that would edit out stuff. And I got to get my real anger, my rage, all this stuff out of me onto the pages of my journal, which in real life, let's say daytime, I wouldn't do because I was considered myself as a nice person, as a, you know, I'm a, my father's daughter. And, um, and then because I knew there was something called a personal, well, and then I read actually, then I read the poetry to a, a very dear friend of mine, and he was like, "Oh my gosh, this is really amazing!" Because I had been hiding, you know, I was only like a uh, like a crumb of myself because I was so afraid that I could I would cry, I would you know yell, I didn't know, so I wasn't really expressing myself for a few years. And then uh, there was this exercise in acting class called a personal storytelling exercise, and the object was to uh, the objective was to get on stage and be real. And I just knew, I just had an inner guidance that I had to go up there and do a little scene. And so what I did is I took one of my poems and I, uh, instead of it being a poem, I brought it to life with three characters. I was already an actress, so this is my natural way of storytelling. So in it, I accused my father and I questioned him about what happened. And it's a scene between me, my brother, and my father. And I inhabited all of the characters and... Um, And what's so amazing is that when you take the writing to the next step where you inhabit the characters that you judge so fiercely, um, if you're a good actress, you can't judge them because you can't play a character that you judge. You have to play them as a full, well-rounded person, really. And Mm -hmm. so that's what I did. And I think one of the best compliments I had early on was my show when I was just doing a reading of it, someone said, you know what i really love is you didn't vilify anybody and to me that was a real win because that's a huge
2: compliment that's wonderful
3: yeah yeah because i didn't play oh. my father just as this you know murderous beast i he was complicated i don't you know it's like the show is raw and i'm going there in every moment but i'm also not playing just an event and so um Like I said, then a director was interested and a producer was interested. And then I, when I started doing the show, then I took time off because I said emotionally it was really hard for me to deal with. And then at some point, actually, this is what happened. It was way back in 2007. My brother invited me to perform my one woman show in Vienna, Austria, where he was living and running a Jewish theater of Vienna. And he had known about the success of my show and how many people I had reached and he invited me to do my show there and have his seven-year-old son in the audience who he had never told him how his grandmother died. But, but let me just say that there is a lot of humor in my show too. And, um, and uh, we ended up doing a Q&A together at the end. And it was this moment of life and art coming together and healing. And there was something that healed for me in that moment. It was no longer like, oh, I have to do my show. I have to do my show for whatever reasons that are unconscious. All of a sudden, I swear, it became like a gift. And ever since then, when I do the show, it feels like something just completely healed in me in that moment. And now why I continue to do it is because I see people's lives change all the time because they're inspired to forgive. I've had people come up to me and tell me that their mother was shot by a stepfather and they can't talk about it and that it gives them hope that they can talk. I've had people who... Had a relative die of AIDS in the '80s, and they never talked about it. And then by seeing my show, they realize there's nothing to be ashamed of, and that they can start bringing the memory of their brother alive. I've had people who have had suicides in their family, and nobody talks about it. There's this whole shame, this silence, and then they, you know, they'll bring a family member the next day to see my show, and then all of a sudden it starts a dialogue, and so. That's what led me to then this last year start teaching other people how to create their own shows, how to get their message out there. Because I found that while I was creating my show and healing myself at the same, it's like writing my show, presenting it, I ended up healing myself and now I get to inspire others. And that's what I'm really excited about doing, helping other people do the same thing, find their voice, which I had lost for a long time.
2: This is probably a good time to mention that you have a website, www.forgivenessandfreedom.com. So people who are interested in learning more about your work or getting in touch with you can go there, (laughs) forgivenessandfreedom.com.
3: Yes, and I even have a, a free video training series called Tell Your Story, Heal Yourself, Create More Wealth. And that's at forgivenessandfreedom.com slash free training. And that'll be available for probably at least the next two weeks, uh, which is just something that explores the seven different ways that I've told my story because I wrote an ebook, I teach, I coach, you know, things like that, uh, how other people would want to tell their story. There's also journaling and doing it for yourself, and then, you know, I talk about the Mm -hmm. mistakes I made along the way, things like, you know, you want to share with people who you feel safe with, not taking things personally, stuff like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to me, one of the things that's extraordinary about your journey is that you did decide to perform the show where people could watch. You know, I've, I've had to deal with some difficult things, in my family and i could write about it in a journal or talk with a very close friend about it but i would not want to put it on stage for the whole world to see what my family was like in you know in as i perceived my family what it was like and what i lived through and it would be like airing airing dirty laundry in public and i love my family and i wouldn't want to do that and i wouldn't want people judging me but it was yeah. different for you
3: it was yeah, because I actually feel that in the silence is where all the shame lives and where all the repeated patterns live and where all the judgment lives. I definitely learned to not care about other people's judgment and uh whatever judgment I've had to always release it. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is I was on a panel about a month ago with L.A. Women's Theater Festival um with other solo artists who have made careers of their shows. And someone in the audience said, well, what do you do, though? Because you love your family, and, but then you have these disparaging, you know, things, these characters and everything. And, and many of us answered, and we said, we actually don't write disparaging things about the other people. We write truth, but we write truth about ourselves, too, from our perspective. It's, I'm never writing, like, you know, the whole thing about not vilifying anybody. I actually think there's an incredible amount of healing in having these secrets out in the open because then people can start to take responsibility or they can go into denial and then then that's good because you know someone's in denial about it so why would you you know keep trying to get someone to change or see the light or you know what I'm, do you know what I'm saying at least I have a different perspective on it because well the time, yeah, I
2: think yeah. it's that complication that some members of the family if it's a large family, some members of the family are in denial about it. Some members of the family just do not want to have to think about it or hear about it.
3: Um, and so and they they're going to be
2: angry if you're the person who is talking about it.
3: Yeah, but that, but that's the whole thing I think I've learned, too, because I spent so much of my younger years being over-responsible. I feel like I'm not responsible for other people, that people have more than enough tools to handle their own stuff. And if they don't want to see my show, they don't have to. And surprisingly enough, it's the same thing with a book. Sometimes you write a book and you think one person is going to be so mad at you and it turns out they love your book. And then someone who you think will love it is like, how could you have said that? You know what I'm saying? So I've just learned along this way that I'm not responsible for them. I know I'm a good person. I know I'm working out my stuff. And it's almost like my job to... To just bring forward what other people won't. Uh-huh. With knowing there's consequences. Because of course, yes, if you go do that, someone might be like, well, I'm not talking to you. But to me, I'm like, well, if they're not talking to me, maybe they have some inner work to do. You know, because uh-huh. I'm not saying I'm right either. Uh-huh.
2: So uh, is there anything more that you wanted to say about how the message of forgiveness emerged through this process of writing your story and then acting your yes. story?
3: Yeah. Okay. Tell uh, me. First, I want to say that forgiveness is a journey. It's not a one time thing. And that something happened to me after I got out of my master's program. I was actually studying at a church. I'm Jewish too. I was, studying, I was at Church of Religious Science and uh, Agape, actually in, in in LA. And there was an exercise to do something very personal. And a poem came out for me. And in that poem, I realized that. I was a part of my father. My father was a part of me. And that if I hated any part of him, I hated a part of myself. That I mean th- different things to different people, but for me, it meant that I hated the masculine part of myself. And there's a lot of wonderful things about the masculine part. You know, it's the one that that is a, you know, a warrior in this world. There's many other things about it. And um, and so I wrote wrote this poem. It came out, and I did this ritual of release, and it was really helpful because so many people are have been abandoned. You know, there's no ritual if someone just leaves you. And so with my father, because I basically never saw him again after I took him to court, and um, and he didn't show up for court. And so I designed a ritual. I, I took one of his hats, and I went to a very high mountain in, in L.A., and, I, and I, I swear I felt like I had angels with me, and I read the poem, which basically just said how we're one, and I'm going to let go of this anger because it, it's almost like a boomerang. It comes back at me, the unforgiveness. I threw his hat over the mountain. I, per, I performed this in the show, this ritual. And, um, and it was like when the hat left my hands also, this layer of unforgiveness left my body. And it was amazing. And, you know, with letting go of the forgiveness, I was able to fall in love again. You know, letting go of the unforgiveness, I was able to create a show and creatively express myself. Like the more layers I let go of, the more love I experience. So that's why I'm so passionate about it because it's not ever condoning someone else because I set healthy boundaries too. I mean, I forgave my father while taking him to court for wrongful death. Um, but what it meant is instead of if I thought of him, I, it didn't like wreck my day. Instead, I just thought loving things. Loving from you a, like a soul perspective.
2: How, how, how in the world did you forgive your dad. I mean, that's, that's a big change to happen in your own heart.
3: How, how did yes. that happen? So there are several things. So that ritual really helped. Um, I learned a lot of things in that master's program, which I teach my clients. There's one specific thing I did, which was I took a picture of him. And for 30 days, I had it on like an altar in my house, you know, on a table. And I consciously brought myself to think about him instead of, you know, oftentimes we get hurt, we get betrayed, we get abandoned, and we don't want to think about the other person. I think it's why there are so many addictions in this country or even, you know, overworking. We don't want to think about it. But I consciously made myself become aware of it so that that anger wouldn't leak out in other circumstances or another relationship. So, and then I would measure, well, how do I feel today? When I see his picture, am I so angry I can't even get on with my day? Or do I feel a little better today? Is it a little neutral? Today, can I tap into loving I had for him when I was a little girl, while at the same time forgiving judgments? So being conscious of the judgment. I forgive myself for judging my father as abandoning me. I forgive myself for judging my father as evil, you know, like coming up with all the judgments and consciously forgiving them. And then in time, at when the energy was more neutral, reframing it. The truth is I trusted my father because he was my father and I was taught to, you know, things like that.
2: And you loved your mother because she was your mother and she was in some ways wonderful, no doubt. <laughs>
3: Oh, well, and I, I didn't even have to do that with my mother because I loved my mother so much. I mean, I feel my mother, the day my mother died, I felt her presence with me. I just, uh, I just loved her. I, I still miss her. Um, I definitely feel like I had her presence with me those first few years very close, and that helped me to, um, to move on because I was able to internalize her love.
2: Okay, we're about to start another break. And when I come back with Brenda Edelman, we will be talking about the process of forgiveness and what one person can teach another person about why it matters so much to forgive and how to bring yourself to a place where it's possible for you to forgive what you need to forgive.
1: Stimulating talk
4: gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast.
1: All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Sadly, that's wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, or co-parenting, there is a better way. Family Mediation. Save time, save money, and make good plans for your children. Visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org.
0: Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish. Because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit colinfamilymediationgroup.com. Colin has one L and no S.
4: Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99.
1: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to show at com. Now, back to Family Matters.
2: I'm Virginia Collin, your host, talking today with Brenda Edelman about uh, trauma forgiveness and healing. On family matters, um, Brenda, you have become a coach after after creating and performing a one-woman show in a large variety of places around the world. You've become a coach teaching other people how to forgive. Tell me about that.
3: Well, I didn't set out to be a coach, but I did get a master's degree in spiritual psychology to heal myself. And in 2007, I received an award. The Hero of Forgiveness Award from the Hawaii International Forgiveness Project. I think because of the work I've done with domestic violence communities and youth at risk. Um, you know, I guess the work that I'm, I'm doing out doing out there, but. Um, I was just—I was doing a workshop, and I, you know, I've, I've traveled with my show and done my workshops on on my three-step forgiveness process or self-forgiveness. I, I brought a workshop into a prison about um, self-forgiveness, and um, and then people in the workshop asked to coach with me, and so I found it was a way to take what they learned, you know, in a three three-hour workshop. Um, and go deeper into the healing, help people all deeper because I do most of my coaching by phone or over Skype. And so um, that's how the coaching started. And, um, you know, I just feel so honored to get to hold because I found that partly I became a coach because I found that when I was in my most devastating place, I really couldn't find even a therapist who could hold for me because it was so deep, my wound. And, um I wanted to be able to, you know, be able to hold for people no matter what they were going through and um, and and not go into my head or try to control or try to tame and just let people have their emotions and, and go through it in a safe way. So that's where it came from.
2: So holding for people means just letting them be how they are and be present with them? Is that what yes, it means? Because so,
3: mu- so many people just try to fix and, and kind of, in their own uncomfortableness kind of shut down the emotions. And I'm not talking about like wild, crazy, unhealthy emotions. You know, someone's experiencing pain, like having a fa- the faith that they'll move through it as time is permitting with the right tools, with the right exercises. It's not about staying in that place, but it is about not shutting people down because I believe that the true healing happens on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. And then, And then now I coach people to take their stories and really craft the message from it because it took me a long time to find my message about forgiveness it kind of found me but to help people look at their whole life and find the story almost like underneath the story not just what they've been telling themselves but what's really going on and I help people get to that really deep place and then share it in a safe way so that they really make an impact on other people's lives even if it's not doing a show, but just sharing with loved ones in a different way where they don't have to play small anymore. They don't have to hide their voice. They can set a healthy boundary, and they can really be themselves.
2: You mentioned at some point a three-step process.
3: Can you say more about that? Yeah. I, when I had to do the, the – actually, it was for speaking engagement. I, uh, I really looked at my, my process – it's it's in my it's in my ebook which is called uh, well it's not an ebook anymore I'm sorry it's a Kindle book it just got translated into an uh, a Kindle book for two ninety nine it's called My Father Killed My Mother and Married My Aunt Forgiving the Unforgivable um, and it's half memoir and then half workbook and so I I went through and thought well what did I do in the wrong order that caused me to suffer longer than I had to and that's kind of how I kind of reverse engineered my process and um because I didn't want people to suffer like I did and I felt like the biggest thing I did wrong was I was in denial for many years and so the first step in my process is moving out of denial and into acceptance of what is I just know that I would not have suffered so much if I didn't vacillate between I hate my father I um I uh I hate my father, I love my father, I um, he's wrong, he, I'm wrong. It's like just actually moving into acceptance of what is without all that big story. And within that step of moving out of denial into acceptance of what is is also completely releasing my anger in a healthy way because I know that because I was stuffing my anger, that stopped my healing. And I lost years as far as being depressed Um, I had to get in touch with my anger. And it took a good five years for me fully to get in touch with my anger. I went to a live anger workshop where I got to view other people like doing these primal screams and stuff like that. And that's when I was finally like, oh, I am angry. I actually didn't even know I was so angry. Um, So that's in part one, really getting it out. And talking about righteousness, that's the place to be righteous. I hate you. I blah, blah, blah. You know, just really getting it out in a healthy way. And then the second Step, once you've really gone to the depths of the anger, is then giving up your need to be right. And that's where the exercises would be more about forgiving the judgments, identifying the judgments, and um, reframing things, learning the lessons. And then, and sometimes it takes a while to get from that stage to the third stage and step, but I really feel it's then moving into gratitude, moving into a place of where are the lessons and how can I somehow be grateful? And within that stage, and a very important step is being of service, getting out of your own head and doing something for other people or for pets or, you know, knowing that the world does not um, revolve around you. Like there are always going to be people who are suffering more and there's always going to be people who are happier and just really getting out of yourself and being, um, being a giving presence. Mm-hmm. So that's the three step process. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Do you think that it's important for almost everyone who has experienced something awful in their family to forgive it? I guess I it, could it, ask it, that question a different way. Are there no, really uh, some things that are just too awful? If there there's you should not try to make yourself forgive somebody
3: for I raping, don't think anybody raping. should I don't think anybody should make themselves forgive. I, I mean, what I said, I think, earlier is that I'm not responsible for other people. I'm just sharing what works for me. The reason I think people should forgive is for them. It's like, if it, anyone I meet, if they want to keep their unforgiveness or their anger, and believe me, I've met so many people who have lived through so much worse than me, it's like, they can keep it, but the problem is they're hurting themselves. Because they're keeping that anger and where is it stored? In themselves. In, you know, illness and addiction and lack of intimacy, lack of being able to trust. So it's a, I mean, in some ways it's a purely selfish act and I think that's what people don't get. They think you're somehow condoning someone else and I am never saying that. Like I said, I've, I've met people, I've worked with people that have lived through terrible abuse. And what I say is forgive, forgive Maybe it's forgiving the person but not forgiving the act or something. I always also say don't ever forget. I say forgive but don't forget because that's where people, I think, mess up is that they forgive and then they think that means forgive and be walked all over. Look, I forgave my dad and I never saw him again. I took him to court for wrongful death. It just literally, the wording, I guess it's more like letting go of the resentments that live within me. Mm -hmm. That's what forgiveness is for me so that when I think of my father... I feel better. And again, other people can keep their unforgiveness, but I don't know about you, but if you've met people who are so angry, they're not living a happy, peaceful life. They're right. suffering. So why re-wound yourself? And that said, I, you know, if someone else feels like they can't move on and they want to stay like that because that's what makes them strong, and I even think there's a place for that like hard, hard boundary where, nope, I'm not forgiving because you somehow know you won't be able to hold the boundary, If you forgive, there's a place for that. But at some point, there's an opportunity to shift into keeping that boundary but not hurting yourself, too, with the hardness.
2: I think you're making a distinction here that sounds pretty important, and I don't know whether I'm hearing it correctly, and I don't know whether it's coming through clearly to other people. But I'm thinking of people, like, for example, on a recent show, I talked with Maya Hope Kitwana. And she was raped by several relatives throughout her childhood. I don't see any reason for her to forgive those people. But at the same time, I hear what you're saying, that if she keeps herself focused on anger, um, if she keeps herself focused on resentment or on feeling like a victim, she's going to be poisoning herself.
3: Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. She's just disempowering herself. I agree. That's so horrible. So it's and a matter she's, of by the not- way,
2: she's, she's working that out. She is on the path. <laughs> oh, good.
3: Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and the, the problem with that is you keep yourself victimized and there's so many ways to do it because then let's say those men didn't receive justice, like my father, it wasn't really justice, you know, two years for murdering my mother in cold blood, even though it was said it was a involuntary manslaughter. Um, you know, then you're kept in this of needing to get even and revenge and life is unfair and it it just keeps the person feeling that way, victimized, not happy. Like how much love can you really have in your life and openness and peace if you're focused on the past and and that's not to ever condone what the other people did. Mm -hmm. It is literally to not have that toxic energy be within Mm you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think you make a good point that it's when you can release this somehow through whatever ritual will work for you, get some of that anger out of your system, that makes it easier to find people you can trust, people who are trustworthy. And it makes it easier. It opens your life for love again.
3: Exactly, and that to me is the bottom line. Can I have more peace and love in my life? And when I was unforgiving and angry and confused and overwhelmed and hadn't released my real anger, I wasn't experiencing love and peace and wonderful friendships who I could trust. And then as I let all that go, then my life got better. Mm
2: -hmm. So you've now got online video training at uh, forgivenessandfreedom.com. And you're coaching people over Skype or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, We have just a couple of minutes left. Is there anything you'd like to say about... uh, How does this go when you're teaching other people to use their life story to to heal themselves and to inspire other people?
3: Oh, this is so exciting. This has been my project for the last year. I launched an online video training program last December, and I have people from all over the world in it because I didn't want people just from New York and L.A. to be able to tell their stories or it'd be cost-prohibited for people to have to, you know, fly someplace, and so I put everything I learned doing my show, performing, doing interviews, um, you know, workshops into these 12 video training modules on how to create, promote, and profit from your life story with a one-person show, and then um, and then I have, like, expert interviews with um, an entertainment attorney when you're dealing with, you know, real-life issues and um, a crowdfunding expert or, you know, an actor who had surpassed her goals. And then I have um, an inner guide to success because the healing component of dealing with your life story is so important because I find so many people, writers, performers, they stop in their tracks. I, myself, took, like, two, three years off because... I didn't know why, but it was that I was I was so emotional I couldn't deal with the stuff that was coming up because I wasn't conscious about how to heal it. So the healing component's a big part of it. I already have um, I have seventeen members in there now uh, from all over the world, and I already have two people who have one person who was working on a show for like five years in class, and she never had it professionally produced and then had two shows in New York, um, since she joined the program. And then I have another person who was already a professional singer, but completely changed her cabaret act to include her poetry and her message about, you know, her really hard childhood, but how she got through things and, um, you know, and then now inspires other people. So it's just exciting for me. And then I have the way I've worked it is that I have a Facebook group that's private and then I can go in there like every other day and answer questions and and help people. So it's awesome. And several of the people there have seen me do my show, like one person in there who lives in China right now saw me do my show in London in 2010. Another person was a forgiveness coaching client of me. She lives in Canada. You know, so it's a a wonderful, eclectic mix of really talented, really brave people. So that really is...
2: um... That's an amazing thing. It's wonderful that you can take something horrible that happened to you that you had to live through and you learned how to deal with it. And now you can teach other people how they can heal themselves through telling their stories. I want to thank you very much for being on the show. Brenda Edelman of ForgivenessAndFreedom.com, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Thanks
3: a lot. Thanks. Bye.
1: Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.